1: justice had destroyed this nation if one commits a crime rich or poor he has to do the time but in the same way in the same manner when it comes to partiality in the house of God it has to be the same in fact the scripture makes it clear about showing partiality in the house of God it applies to every single one of us not just leaders James write in James chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 he writes this my brethren do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of glory with partiality Don't do it.
0: Throughout Scripture, and probably throughout our everyday lives, we see that people tend to have poor perspective when it comes to making judgments on others. We have a skewed understanding of what justice is, and typically overlook our own sins in order to condemn the sins of others. Pastor Eddie shares some principles to live by when it comes to passing judgment on others, and how to deal with sin in the church. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5, as he continues his message, Honor the elders. I want right
2: to your heart. I want run, to You
1: need to learn doctrine. Pastors who labor and study in the word of God and teaching the word of God, you know, they're, they're, they need to be compensated because it takes a lot of work. And I can tell you this, being bivocational is not easy by any means. I've done it for six years. When I was pastoring a church in East Harlem, I was a full-time police officer, and I had to study two, gives two studies, midweek and Sunday, it wasn't easy because you know i lived about an hour 15 minutes away from work and the church but i did it for 3 years then the lord called me back to my old church and the Lord called me here, and I had done that in the beginning of our study. We started in 2012 of August, and, and then I was still a, a police officer full-time working in New York City, getting off the midnight shift, driving all the way to Orange County, New York, Middletown, where I lived. and. Showered, you wanted me to shower. I showered and I came and I gave a Bible study right off the midnight shift. After fighting crime in the midnight shift in East Harlem, I came and I had to give a Bible study and I did that for three years. It's not easy. So to have someone, I discovered that the Lord called me out just before my 20th anniversary, just a shy year and a half, but I knew it was God's calling. I knew that I had to give more time as the church was growing, more time into prayer, more time into the studying of the word. And I found that the church continued to grow, that I became full time into ministry. So it's not easy. But those who rule well are to be given double honor, especially those who um, labor in the word and doctrine. Verse 18, he says, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Now, this is an Old Testament law. And there was a law even to care for those animals that actually work in the field for you. Those animals that you put the yokes on and are in the field and they're plowing and, and those that are working towards the green. There's, you know, animal cruelty. The Bible protected animals, especially the ones that you're using to help you get food and put food on your table. And so this is an Old Testament law. It's Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. I'll give it to you in the New Living Translation. It says, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grave. It must eat too. You must feed and take care of it. How many of you, we don't have, you know, I don't know if anybody has a farm or ranch here. But the closest thing we have is not really an animal, it's a car. And my father always told me, you take care of your car, your car's going to take care of you. Give it the oil change, you know, take care of it. Otherwise, it's going to leave you stranded. And and that's what I tell my daughters when they got their car. You have to take care of it. You have to give it the oil change and give it the tune-up that it needs. And otherwise, it's going to leave you stranded. And so, you know, in the same way, the Lord's saying, listen, you know, take care of the animal. Not that he's saying that a pastor is an animal, maybe this one here, but you know, the thing is, you know, he's saying it's just wisdom. And so if the Lord gave a, a law requiring that we feed and care for even animals who work in labor, it treads out the grain to provide food for us. How much more would the Lord want faithful pastors to provide the spiritual food to the church to be honored as they provide wisdom in the word of god and so he says you should not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain and and the laborer is worthy of his wages paul is quoting from jesus christ and he quotes luke chapter 10 verse 7 when jesus says the laborer is worthy of his wages it's a biblical principle A biblical principle. And so we are to give double honor to elders who rule well, especially those who labor in the word of God and doctrine. Next, in verses 19 and 21, verses 19 through 21, it's the accusation of an elder. Now there's protection for the elder as well. So Paul gives instruction, protecting the elder, the pastor, against false accusation so let's look at verse 19 he says do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses and this is important throughout the scriptures the enemy has used people to falsely accuse men of God who are and trying to destroy their ministry Joseph Moses David Jeremiah Nehemiah Paul himself and even Jesus Christ suffered false accusations And this is important. Paul warns us about false accusations against pastors. And so the first thing he tells us to do, the first thing we must do when you hear someone making an accusation against a pastor, any pastor. If you hear an accusation against me, it's probably true. Just kidding. But if any pastor, any accusation, any accusation, the first thing he says, do not receive it. Do not receive it. He didn't say believe it or don't believe it. He goes beyond that. It's not whether you believe the accusation or not. He says, do not receive it. Don't receive it. He didn't say believe it. So he says, do not receive it, much less believe it. It's inevitable that there will be false accusations against a pastor. It happens. Why? Because there are people in the church. (laughs) That's why. It happens. It happens. In fact, I don't believe there's a single pastor throughout the history of the church from the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts to now unto the Lord to that has not received a false accusation against him. There's not one single one. It happens. You're up there. And, you know, it's like one little accusation. Forget it. You're of the devil. <laughs> You're evil. And it's wrong. Do not receive it. I was taught this before I was a pastor. Do not receive a false accusation. Don't receive it. You hear somebody talking about it? Did you witness it? Did you, with your physical eyes, witness this sin that disqualifies him as a pastor? So do not receive an accusation against a pastor, an elder, except, and here's the exception, except from two or three witnesses. It's not that... You huddle together behind the pastor or the leadership is referring to the leaders. Paul is speaking to leaders. So the leadership of this church, the leadership of Calvary Chapel, we're not to accept any accusation against any of our leaders, except that there are two or three witnesses and they come to the leadership and they say, this is the situation. Now, this law, this law, uh, two or three witnesses is an Old Testament law. The law, the law, the Lord gave to the children of Israel back in Deuteronomy. And it's to establish the fact and to see if the accusations are true. So in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, the Lord said to the children of Israel, one witness shall not rise against a man, not one, concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. And we need to follow this law. We need to follow this principle. This law, is still applies for us today. Even though it was an Old Testament law, but the principle, God wants this principle to continue on even for us today. Because obviously, we're reading it in the New Testament. We're reading it from the Apostle Paul. Paul says you need two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses. So Paul's telling us to continue this practice today and not only an accusation against a pastor, but this accusation with two or three witnesses also deals with us individually within the church. Remember, Jesus gave us this example. If a brother sins against you, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 16, Jesus says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That's the first thing. If you pass this with telling someone else, that's gossip. That's gossip. If someone sinned against you, you go to that person. Listen, you sin against. Don't have a little powwow meeting and a huddle. You take it to a second person without taking it to the first person. That's gossip. You're going against the scripture of God. Moreover, if, you, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Why? If he hears you, you have gained your brother. There could be peace. It could be solved right there. He says, but if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. A lot of, you know, prosperity preachers like to say, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, yes, Lord, we ask for a mansion. No, (laughs) keep it in context. It's referring to, you know, witnesses about brothers and brothers reconciling with one another. So, if a pastor outright commits a sin that disqualifies him for a leader, as a leader, there needs to be two or three witnesses, two or three witnesses. Now, these witnesses who observed this themselves, not like, hey, uh, one person observed it and all of a sudden you got five witnesses. That hasn't, they, all the other four have not seen a single thing. They weren't there. They didn't witness it with their own eyes. But they took the word of one and said, yeah, we're going along with you because I, I believe he could do that. <laughs> I believe he did that. You don't know. Two, three witnesses. And it has to be observed. And you have to go to the rest of the leaders. It's not for us to go to the church. Here it is. Verse 20. Let's look at verse 20. He says, those who are sinning. Now, let's say you find, you know, a leader has sinned. That disqualifies him for a leader or elder, a pastor or a deacon. He says, those who are sinning, referring to the elders and pastors, rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. Now, keeping this in context, it doesn't mean that if a leader sins, we're going to bring him before the church. This is within the leadership, within the leadership. You know, you disqualify yourself because of such and such sin, so we so you need to step down, taking away your ordination, and, and that's it. You know, it's between the leaders, in the presence of all. If you read any context, talking, nothing, you know, there are some denominations where they... They'll call up a brother and say, hey, brother, come on up. We want to bless you today. And they call him up. And guess what? On the monitor, they showed his sin. Before the congregation, they humiliate him. Yeah, that's what they do. And that's not the way God works. Because if that be the case, the whole church better be on the platform. You know, you should hear the stones drop because Jesus coming. He without sin cast the first stone. And that's not the purpose for that. God is loving God. And and I love that story because it it blows me away, his mercy, the mercies of God. The woman who they're about to stone. And they were trying to trap Jesus, say, Jesus, the law says you stone him. But, you know, that was taken away. Rome has taken that authority from Israel to stone anyone from death. They couldn't do that anymore. They couldn't follow the law. So they were trying to trap Jesus. Jesus, if you don't stone this woman, you go against the law of Moses. However, if Jesus stoned the woman, he'd go against the laws of Caesar. They try to trap him. They can't trap the Messiah. So Jesus, as he's riding on the ground, he said, he without sin cast the first stone. Nobody cast a stone. They all dropped their stones. First of all, how did the Pharisees know how to find this woman in the act of adultery? They knew who she was. Did they themselves have a relationship with this woman? But what's amazing about that is that Jesus said, where are your accusers? And I think it's the most beautiful thing ever. Jesus said, neither do I accuse you. Who could have stoned that woman? Jesus. He was without sin. But Jesus said, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Christ did not come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. And so... I didn't mean to get off, but I think it was beautiful. The word of God is amazing. So the reason for rebukes are two things. What happens is when they're rebuked, first, it brings sin to light and exposes it. It brings sin to light. Listen, you can't hide sin. You may think you're a master at it, but you can't hide sin. Sin will find you out. It will find you out. In Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, it says this, take note, the Lord says, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. So the sin, the rebuke does two things. It exposes the sin so the other leaders can know, hey, this is a sin, just in case they don't know. But, hey, if there's an accusation, what do you accuse him? This is a sin. Okay? Secondly, it serves as a warning to other leaders. It serves as a warning. You're leading God's people, much is expected of you. People want to be leaders. They love titles. They have no idea what they want. No idea. You see, the sin of a man that leads, that has a leadership role, you know, when they sin, it's more serious because it affects everyone else. You're leading by example. You can't be in sin. Not that you don't sin. I blow it all the time. But there are sins that if it's exposed, it's going to hurt people. And so the punishment must be severe because more is expected of a leader. That's why James wrote write this in the epistle of James James chapter 3 verse 1. He writes this my brethren let not many of you become teachers. Many do want to become teachers knowing that we shall receive a what stricter judgment whether what you do as a leader or in teaching the word of God you will be judged. I know I will be judged greater Every leader, pastor, will be judged much greater. Now, whether an elder pastor is being honored or he's being rebuked, a leader must do so. The rest of the leader must do so. Whether we honor a leader or a pastor, we must do so without taking sides and showing favoritism. Look at verse 21. He says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the angels, (laughs) Okay, angels are going to be a part of judgment in the book of Revelation, by the way. But what he's trying to say, he charged, he's making this charge before the other leaders of the church. When one disqualifies himself, he, he's including the entire spiritual realm. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and even the angelic hope. He said, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elected angels that you observe these things without prejudice. Doing nothing with partiality. Pastor is to be given double honor or rebuked fairly without prejudice, without doing nothing with partiality. Whether he's liked or not, the church should love one another, including the pastor. Some may say, well, we're not too crazy about this, pastor. Let us just give a McDonald's coupon every week. Forget about the double cheese. No, single cheeseburger. Matter of fact, forget the cheese. The scripture says he's to be given double honor, whether he's liked or not. Or you could do on the flip side when it comes to one who sins. Say, you know, yeah, he's committed adultery, but, you know, we like him. He's a nice guy and he's a great teacher. And boy, look what he's done in the ministry. The scripture calls for him to be rebuked. No partiality, no favoritism. You know, we live in a world where justice, it's really a joke. The Bible in the Old Testament says we're to judge whether the poor or the rich. They should be equally judged. They committed a sin, they judge. We have inserted this word social justice all of a sudden. That's not biblical. That's what destroyed our country. That's what destroyed this culture. That's what destroyed people all around the world. Social justice. Two men commit a murder. One is doing well. He comes from a good home. He commits murder. He goes to jail. Death penalty even. But one, because he had a hard life. Social justice. Well, yeah, he killed and raped a woman. But he can go away because, you know, he had a bad upbringing, you know. Wasn't fed, you know, fed Twinkies most of his life. And so it's okay. Social justice. That's not justice. Justice goes across the board for all. And, you know, you have that, you know... Justice is blind. No, not in today's culture. There's social justice. That's not biblical. And we shouldn't be tagging along with people with social justice. Social justice has destroyed this nation. If one commits a crime, rich or poor, he has to do the time. But in the same way, in the same manner, when it comes to partiality in the house of God, it has to be the same. In fact, the scripture makes it clear about showing partiality in the house of God. It applies to every single one of us, not just leaders. James writing, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, he writes this. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Don't do it. And he gives an example. For if there should come into the assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel. And there should come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothing and say to him, you sit here in a good place. You can sit up front and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become become judges with evil thoughts? You know, that's a calm pastor, he doesn't know $50 brother and $500 brother. I don't want to, you know, not that I'm going to be, have that judge. But you know what? I'm just like you. I'm not better than you. You know, I have to fight the flesh every now and then. You give to the Lord, and I thank you. We, we're giving the, the end of year statements. You know, and this is the reason why we're able to have service. the reason why we're able to, you know, pay the lights. You know, help me put food on the table for my family and I. Pay for ministries. People that are hurting, we're able to help them and support them. We have a benevolence. We're able to do these things because you're part of the household of God and is being faithful to the Lord. But I I don't I treat everyone the same. Everyone the same. There's only one person I treat better than all of you. That's my wife. God doesn't show partiality. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods, and Lord of lords. The great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, nor takes a bribe. Romans chapter two, verse eleven. For there is no partiality with God. Okay, so no partiality when it comes to leaders being uh, honored. No partiality when it comes to leaders who sin and uh, against God. And so, give double honor for those who rule well, right? Who labor in the word and doctrine. Verses seventeen, and eighteen. We're not to receive an accusation against a leader except from two or three witnesses. If there are two or three witnesses and the accusations are true, it says that he's to be rebuked for his sins, brought in the presence of the rest of the leaders. And that's in verses 19 to 21. Now in verses 22 to 25, it's talking about selecting leaders for the church. And this is important, selecting leaders. This is what we follow. Verse 22, it said, do not lay hands hands on anyone hastily. We should be in a hurry and lay hands and ordaining people uh, or pointing people into leadership in the church of Christ.
0: You've been listening to Running the Race with Pastor Eddie. We've been looking at some useful and practical advice that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. This book jumps into what it looks like to be a leader in the church. Paul also doesn't shy away from encouraging those who are young to run with zeal and not grow discouraged. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in spirit, in faith, in purity. If you're facing opposition because of your age, be reminded that Timothy faced similar struggles and God used him mightily. Just like he can use you, too. We're so glad you joined us today for Running the Race. Are you in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area? If so, Jessica has an invitation for you.
2: We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to Homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again, or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com.
0: Thanks, Jessica. On our website, we also have some helpful resources to assist you in what you're learning or how you're studying the Bible. Just click on the Study Helps tab at runningtheraceradio.com. We're so glad you tuned in today, and we look forward to the next edition in the book of First Timothy on Running the Race.